Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Jeff McLendon, who's the CEO of Specialty Building Products. And that is a company that was started back in 1988 by founder Lawrence Newton. And today, they're serving over 15,000 customer locations in the U.S. and Canada with more than 50 categories of unique specialty building products. Welcome to the show, Jeff. Thanks. Glad to be here today. In addition to being CEO of you also serve as a board member at Athletes in Action. And, and I'm grateful that their VP, Eric Nelson, connected us when I asked him, Eric, which leader do you know that's successful, yet also humble enough to share at least one leadership struggle? And you are the one he came up with. <laughs> so, wow, that's high praise. It just shows that, uh, shows that Eric knows me well enough to have seen the struggles. Yeah, I would like to hear some of those because when I did some research on you, I'm like, wow, this man looks like he was born successful. And I'm very curious because I saw that you actually got your bachelor's of science in agriculture and engineering, yet you started with the company as CFO in 2003, promoted to COO and president in 2004, then CEO in 2016. So how does someone like you, first of all, go through that route so fast? And then how could you possibly have any struggles? Yes, that's pretty crazy, huh? <laughs> it's kind of humility is a big part of our leadership culture. And so our, just a little bit of our company. So we, we've grown really fast, grown a lot coming out of the big recession. And, uh, you know, 2008, and for us, it lasted through 2012. We were about a $300 million revenue company and we're two and a half billion today, probably be three and a half billion by the end of this year. Mm. So that amount of growth, I think myself and the other leaders of the company, we have to show up every day having enough healthy ego and being confident enough that we can take on today's challenges mm -hmm. and kind of surprise us all happened to us. I think that's a healthy balance. So it's a little bit of a paradox there for a leader. It's yeah. um, certainly dangerous to be timid and not confident, but it's probably more dangerous to actually think you have it figured out. So yeah, I'm an engineer by training. I'm a recovering nerd. My colleagues might say I'm not that recovered. <laughs> and so I, I like to learn. I like to, an engineer likes to know how things work, how our industry works, how our social structure in the company works, how supply chain works, how our customers think about things. And I think being a student of things and trying to really figure out how they work helped me to move up in the company. Yeah. I'm of course curious. I work with a lot of clients with succession planning opportunities and challenges, shall I say. And it's not easy for a founder to turn the reins over. So how do you think you were able to have that done? So that's really interesting. It's, that's a real credit to Lawrence. I was running a technology company in Atlanta for founding ownership and a smaller company, but growing very quickly. And I was in a group called Track 3. That was a group of eight Christian businessmen who met together in a facilitated environment here in Atlanta for about half a day a month to work on each other's businesses. And mm -hmm. Lawrence was in that group. And so that was very interesting. It was a case study kind of environment and got to know each other really well. got to see how each other thought about business and thinking about blind spots and how most CEOs and particularly founders are wired. Lawrence is the enlightened founder and realized that he had grown a really successful business. It was about $180 million in revenue at the time, purely entrepreneurial, but he realized that it was probably stuck and it was probably as far as he could take it on his own. And he had the vision to replace himself. Hmm. And so he's still healthily involved in the business today and engaged in the business today, although he doesn't work full-time, which is also unusual for a founder who brings on a different management team. Yeah. But he had that vision that for the greater good of the organization and for the organization and its people to be all they could be, he needed to replace himself with a different set of talents. And that's pretty rare in a founder. He's a pretty special guy. 
Yeah, that sure is. He's obviously also smart because he got to indirectly interview you <laughs> and make sure that he could align with you as successor, it sounds like. Yeah, that was a great, that was a great place for us to meet. We got to see that we're aligned on values to a great degree, offsetting skill sets. Yeah. And he's 10 years older than me. He had some maturity that, that I didn't have. <laughs> and so it was a really good situation. So did you guys co-create the values that you adhere by now or how so, did... So that's an interesting story. So after I had been here not that long, there was a company that was a lot smaller, a lot different place. There were some really strong values that were here, but had not been articulated. Mm-hmm. And so one morning, I had been thinking about it one morning in my home office, I just wrote them down and then added a couple that I might say I brought to the company, mm-hmm. particularly value around live with intentionality, make mm-hmm. sure your progress is on a well-conceived path. That, that's not often a value you find with entrepreneurial business. That's more of a managed business value. Yeah. And then one that we developed together after I'd gotten here that, that really defines our leadership culture as much as anything is lead through influence, not title, tenure, or position. Yeah. So that came a little later as well, but that, that may be as core to describing our leadership culture as anything. So those have been in place for a long time. They are the flywheel that makes the business go. People in the business, I mean, most humans aren't that attached to math. They're not that attached to financial metrics of a business. Now, people follow their heart and follow purpose and follow ideals and follow things they believe in. And so this idea that we're a values-based company seeking to use our platform to make a difference in the lives of the people that we impact, maybe even a difference that might last forever. Well, that's the purpose the human heart can get behind. And yeah. so our people are very attached to our core values. We hire and fire to them. And it really, the bigger we've gotten, the more important they are to hold everything together. Yes. Well, that that combination, right? The, the heart and still having the metrics for clarity must be your secret combination because I also saw that you share clearly what your top three focus areas are as a CEO. And I've noticed performance gets impacted when you're not clear about expectations. So it sounds to me like that's another area that your background has really helped the company in. I think it is. I spent seven years leading a couple of IT startups and being an engineer by training. So we're almost 15 years into big data and got an analytical platform that's really second to none in our industry. We distribute finished building materials, the things that look like wood on your house Mm -hmm. that you can see when the house is finished. So not the framing, but Mm -hmm. the molding, the exterior siding and trim, cool decking, Trex decking, things like that. So we Mm -hmm. sell thousands of items to thousands of customers every day. So we use our big data engine that we know the net profitability of every item on every transaction every day. Yeah. Almost nobody knows that. And so the company's kind of interesting mashup of that focus on math and data Mm-hmm. coupled with the focus on the person and the values. And you, you don't have to do one or the other. You can do both of those. Yes. So then, of course, I'm curious. You could say it's almost harder to keep the purpose in place. Did you ever struggle as a leader? So, so let me comment on the purpose thing first. It, it is hard to keep the purpose and the values forefront. But as we've grown and acquired a lot of other businesses pretty quickly, mm-hmm. when, when people ask me, I'll get asked by bankers or analysts or colleagues from different companies in the industry. So what do you worry about? What keeps you awake at night? And my answer is that we lose control of our culture. Mm-hmm. I think we can figure the rest of it out. Yes. If you let your culture get away from you, now your people cease to believe. So that purpose thing and values thing is always at the forefront. But for me, I think I'm probably genetically wired as a leader to start with. Mm-hmm. 
But to be able to lead at this level, I've had to grow and continue to have to grow. I mean, my goal is to stay just maybe half a step behind where I really ought to be as a leader as the company grows and not get <laughs> left behind. Mm-hmm. But among the things we've done is we've built a coaching methodology in the business. Mm. Leader as a coach methodology built on executive coaching principles. Mm-hmm. And years ago, in the early days of the company's um, big growth, we brought in an executive coach who's a really high level guy, really good at what he does, had a nice tool set. That, that we've adapted. And I was the first victim, you know, and <laughs> went through the profile and went through a 360 analysis. Yeah. yeah. Senior team at that time. And, and I, I really did find a big blind spot there. What that was that? The people believe that I care for them deeply, that I want the best for them, that I'm for them, that I'm for their hopes and dreams. And so they get that I care about them, but people also feel like I have less than no compassion, meaning I don't care when it's hard. In fact, not only do I not care when it's hard, I don't even know that it's hard. And, you know, yeah. like most of us where our blind spots are, that's, that's kind of a reflection of how I see myself and how I work and how I treat myself internally. Yeah. You know, it's hard. It's work. It's supposed to be hard. Things are hard. You got a hard job. Pay you to do a hard job. So buck up and do the hard job, man. Self-talk. Yeah. That's not good self-talk for everybody else. In fact, one of my assignments for my coach was to sit down with my COO at the time and tell him my key weaknesses that had come out in this process. Mm-hmm. I was telling him about this one, that I, I lack compassion, that when it's hard for people, I don't really care that much. And Brian looked at me and he said, huh, he said, well, don't you think they're just weak? And I said, I do. And it turned, as it turns out, that's a pretty big problem. I'm telegraphing that. Mm-hmm. So for me to dial down the intensity and dial up the empathy and realize everybody's not wired like me. People care about different things. Not everybody's as competitive or driven and not everybody's as mathematical. Not everybody's an engineer. Mm -hmm. Good thing because we're hard to be around and meet them where they are and dial into what makes them tick and what's important to them mm-hmm. and meet their intensity level where they are, especially as you think about different level leaders in the organization. Yeah. That's been a huge growth opportunity for me. And when I deal with every day, I've got some coping mechanisms and my, the fact that I care deeply for them motivates me to show them that better. Yeah. So that, that's been one of the biggest areas of growth for me. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing. And how much effort do you spend on hiring right versus making sure that you grow people and retain people and work on your leadership improvement? Yeah, it's both. We work real hard on hiring right. But at the end of the day, you can only be so good at that. So we've worked incredibly hard on our onboarding and our training and leadership development. We do some unusual things. We take every new millennial we hire in the company into a salaried professional position. Mm-hmm. either because we hired them out of college or shortly out of college or we got them through acquisition. They get two trips in their first two years of the company up to a camp in North Georgia mountains with the COO and I. Mm. And we spend the better part of three days with them, pouring into their lives and talking about life and playing together. I'm playing ultimate on the field with them at midnight at camp. We do a session, the COO and I do, that's titled What We Would Tell the 25-Year-Old Us. Mm. That kind of based on what we know now, if we could go back and talk to the 25-Year-Old Us. So we're giving them a lot of stuff in the business, but we're giving them a lot of life stuff and adulting stuff. And that's an example of one of the things we do to build attachment to people. Yeah. but also to communicate the broader sense of culture and values and what it means to be a part here. And the reality is today's 22-year-old to 36-year-old wants to be attached to senior leadership. Yes. So I can't do that one at a time anymore. Mm-hmm. 
But one of our core values is live out idealism. Don't settle. So we've decided yes. not to settle on that issue. So we do that. We run a leadership institute for identified leaders with about 50 people in it a year, do a number of other things. And so I personally give 22 days a year to people development, my schedule. Oh. So I've found that I just have to prioritize it. And if it's one of the most important things we do, then it's got to show up in my schedule like that. Well, again, combining purpose with mathematics <laughs> with the 22 days. And you, that, that's that beautiful. Kind of weird, but that's how no, I but it's, think about it. it. It is because you know, I think everybody is so, so busy and distracted these days. And again, I see that you're very focused and that's one of your top three. So there's a lot of leaders who've struggled in this last year and will still are struggling. So in times of crisis, is there... A tip or two you can share? And you went yourself, and I think you said in 2008 through it. We sure did. COVID hasn't been as hard on us as it has been on some other people. Mm -hmm. So the bigger crisis for us, you know, we were right in the middle of the big recession in 2008. We served the housing industry. Mm -hmm. And so we were right in the middle of it. We were smaller. We were privately capitalized, didn't have deep pockets. It was excruciating and, and learned so much through that time. But one of the main things I learned that really still apply to this day, and I give Ronnie Stroud, our CFO, great credit for pushing me on this during the time, that leaders, especially CEOs, work into the future. They say a good CEO can see around corners. Mm -hmm. and, and I think all that's true. I think that changes a lot during a crisis. Mm. I found myself trying to see around corners that were too far off. And when you're in the fog of war, when you're in a sure enough for real crisis, not only you can't see that far. And by the time you get that far, it's all going to have changed anyway. So playing chess where you're thinking four or five moves ahead is really pretty counterproductive and can be paralyzing in a crisis because you can't see anything clear enough. And I would be, I would say to Ronnie, well, what about what's that going to be next quarter? And Ronnie would say, Jeff, we need to think about what that's going to be like two weeks from now. Hmm. And the analogy that, that I've shared internally a number of times that I like a lot is it's like walking through the woods at night with a flashlight. Hmm. And you have to know the general direction you're going to get back to your camp or wherever you're going. But if you shine that flashlight way up into the distance, you really can see almost nothing. If you'll put it 10 feet in front of your feet, you can actually see really well. And so the, in crisis, I think we we got to know the general direction we're going, but then we got to bring our view into 10 feet and take those steps and know that if we take those 10 feet, then we'll be able to see 10 feet farther. And then we can do, it's about doing the next right thing, not about trying to get all the way to the end. And that's maybe the biggest lesson I took out of 2008. Wow. Well, obviously you guys are a great team and thank you for sharing that piece. It continues to show your ability to, to be humble and keep growing. And today you've certainly provided a lot of tips that others can model. So I really appreciate you being here today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And then if anyone wants to know more about your company, they should go to specialtybuildingproducts.com. And for leaders, any last minute tips on What's the next right step they could do right now? Yeah, go find somebody that knows more than you do. You need to be spending your time with people who are better than you are, which if you're honest with yourself, is not that hard to find. Certainly <laughs> not for me. No, they might not be better at everything than you are, but there's plenty of people with more experience, deeper skill set, more maturity in areas. And the people you get coffee and lunch with and spend time with, you can't waste that on people who aren't making you better. You either need to be serving somebody that you're making them better, or you need to be meeting with somebody that can make you better. Don't waste your time on anything. Else. Well, thank you for spending time with me today because I've certainly learned a lot. Thanks, Bergen.